Blog Talk Radio. day today on uh, the Mind Whisperer, and um, the topic at hand is uh, hitting very close to home for me personally. I'll share my story with you in just a moment, uh, but welcome to the program. My name is Michael Gordon. You are listening to the Mind Whisperer. We're here every Tuesday and Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, and the show is dealing with uh, topics of spiritual psychology in daily life. And today the topic is grief and loss. Why is it so hard to let go? So without further ado, let's jump into the program. If you're listening to the archive show on iTunes or on Blog Talk Radio, really appreciate you tuning in. And please remember to check out our Facebook page, The Mind Whisperer, and also our Twitter account. And uh, we appreciate all your support and spreading the word on the program. <clears throat> and uh, you can call in any time if you're listening live or uh, on the chat room, which is on blogtalkradio.com forward slash the mind whisperer if you listen in live to the show. And you can call in and talk about this topic or any other topic that's on your mind at any time. So today, grief and loss. Uh, Very sad to announce that uh, yesterday morning I had to let go of my animal companion, uh, Max, who was a 11-something year old uh, Rottweiler cross and I'd spent nine years with Max who was a rescue dog he was my constant companion and um, he took very ill um, very suddenly and uh, there was nothing further that we could really do so we had to let him go yesterday Uh, it was an extremely difficult uh, three days and um, want to focus on today's program to look at what grief and loss teach us about letting go. Of course, you know, as a preface to the program today, you know, if anybody else has recently experienced grief uh, of, of uh, loss of a relationship or loss of a loved one uh, through tragic or otherwise circumstances, uh, by no way do I my comments today um, are they meant to diminish the the pain or the sorrow of that loss? It's very real. And really, what I want to do today is just put it in some context that may help understand and um, 
provide some insight and some benefit in terms of easing a bit of the suffering and helping the the uh, experience of grief to open us up more. And um, and that doesn't mean to gloss over the pain, but to, to make use of the pain and uh, to allow it to us to to move forward in a constructive way. And I'm going to um, express um, some insights from a, a really uh, valuable resource uh, in a book that I came across through a, a client that referred it to me. And it was dealing with his own abandonment uh, issues from a uh, loss of relationship. And the book is by uh, Susan Anderson. It's called The Journey from Abandonment to Healing. Turn the end... No, I can't really read the whole title right now. But uh, that's the, the main title of the book. And the subtitle is um, Surviving Through and Recovering from the Five Stages that Accompany the Loss of Love. Um very simply put, the premise of this book is that uh, Susan Anderson, who's a therapist, um, has taken the concept of what's called um, uh, akeru, which is a Japanese word. And akeru is a concept in the Japanese language and culture that represents, uh, the word actually means a piercing or a breaking or an opening. And she uses this as a as a uh, kind of a metaphor and a tool therapeutically to help people move through the stages of abandonment. And she really elaborates the stages of abandonment from what was held for a long time uh, through the theoretical and uh, uh, foundations of Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who um, established the very well-known five stages of grief. And so Susan Anderson's book is, uh, really elaborates on that and in a way that helps us understand what's going on. Particularly uh, what she does valuable in this book is that she identifies the stages of grief for abandonment lost and not necessarily through you know, death and dying grief. And so what is it about abandonment loss that's so powerful and um, that, that we can draw on for other types of grieving and loss? Well, a constant theme on this program has been looking at the um, how powerful the forces are of, of the drive, the human drive for attachment and bonding early in life. It is the instinct for life. It is, as I've said before, what the Dalai Lama refers to as the the the, um, the seed of compassion, that the bond between a child and its mother, primarily that initial bond for life, for the child to emerge from the from the womb and um to reach for sustenance is the is the is the is the seed of life and the milk of human compassion and um there are very complex and symbiotic uh processes with our neurophysiological development and our emotional and social learning that go with um that bonding process and when it goes awry for whatever reason either through um, neurotic attachment or uh, abandonment or anything that may occur in the early, those early stages, um, it really sets us up um, for difficulty later on in relationships and our emotional relating in the world. And um, so in Susan Anderson's book, she's describing 
how the, those st- stages of, of abandonment grief um, are, to a large extent, re-triggering uh, abandonment from early in life. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's triggering trauma, but it is triggering the whatever vestiges there are of that very early um, um, experience of separation. And it's based on some very strong neurochemical responses in the brain and emotional responses to being separated at a, at a young age. And so there is a very um, pro, uh, pronounced and dire and almost primal kind of uh, s- separation and loss that uh, that gets triggered by uh, a grief and particularly abandonment grief. Now, in the bigger picture... When we look at the loss of a loved one or the loss of a relationship, and it could even be the loss of any situation, loss of a job or moving on from any situation, there is a sense of separation and, and, and closure there or having to let go of something. And the way that I have found to express that is that it often takes moments where we are forced to let go, to realize how tightly we've been hanging on. And I don't mean that it's inappropriate that we've been hanging on, because that's love. Love is to um, be open and experience and and have your heart full of emotion and to be uh, present and engaged in in your relationships, etc., etc., so there's not it's not that we should be detached emotionally in life, not quite the contrary, but we may not be conscious of how tightly we've attached maybe our identity or expectations or um might be trying to avoid the inevitable loss of that relationship um as it's happening. And so when it ends, or the situation ends, or if, unfortunately, we have to let somebody pass, like I'm going through, um, it, we can suddenly become sharply aware of how much we've been hanging on. So as a personal example, I can talk about uh, my dog, Max. And when I first adopted him, once I established you know, a relationship with him and things settled in, he was a rescue dog. I got him at two years old. He was quite problematic very fear aggressive and so it took a lot of training on my part and his part to get him somewhat secure and to learn how to work with him and as I did that and I started to bond with him more and more um, again in that sort of bringing in those elements of that uh, attachment bonding that drive to to, and we have that lifelong it's not just at at birth and in early childhood that we have the, the need to bond it continues because we it, we grow out of being a dependent uh, infant and then child in that dependent relationship with our parents, and then we have to become interdependent in the world. But as adults, we still have a biological drive to to mate and to pair. So we get into pair bonding, and then if we end up having our own offspring, we bond again with our with our children. So as I made this connection with the dog, uh, I noticed all of this natural anticipation and fear coming up about um, the more I opened up 
more vulnerable I let myself be with my feelings for my dog and experiencing his vulnerability as a dependent being, um, it brought up fear that um, what if something happens, one day I'm going to have to let this dog go, and I'm scared. It's this fear of intimacy, perhaps. And something very interesting happened as I began to open up to that fear and to work with it. And, you know, based on the spiritual practice, the primary thing that I did was just let it open. I, I went in deeper to the feeling. And so in a sense, to use that term, akeru, that uh, uh, Susan Anderson um, has built this uh, abandonment recovery process with, um, I took that feeling and that resistance to let that feeling open up uh, as an opportunity to, to, to practice that akeru, that, that piercing, that breaking through. And so I went into the feeling of sadness, into the feeling of grief, which a lot of people, even counselors, will uh, advise against. You know, why, why dwell on that feeling now? The dog is healthy and alive. Just enjoy him while he's here. But it's kind of a deferral, really. It's a deferral of... of emotion is the deferral of the inevitable loss. And so in a in a Buddhist sense, in a contemplative sense, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with recognizing that death is inevitable, that life is impermanent, and that there can be profound awakening and and more experience of life in the moment, uh, in fact, by contemplating that. In fact, uh, the Tibetan uh, monks will greet each other with a kind of sense of humor and say, ah, you know, you're still alive. Good to see you. They don't take life for granted. Um, so every moment, every breath is precious. So as I went into this space with my dog emotionally and and let the fear emerge and really went into the grieving of feeling of seeing him there in front of me and one day he would have to go. Something very interesting happened, which is that it transformed and suddenly I found a deeper, more profound sense of connection with the dog and more care and more compassion. And it allowed me to be more present with him. And at, at once not attached to the fear, but more engaged with him and wanting to um, really cherish his, his, his uh, presence in my life and to care for him more deeply. And so after nine years, you know, he became my primary companion in life and I built my decisions around him and traveled with him and lived with him and and, um, and I'm very blessed in the, way, in the sense that even though he did suffer, you know, we cannot prevent death and sickness. Um, he went very quickly. And uh, so it was tragic to see, to, to see him suffer at all, uh, but uh, a benefit to see that his suffering was minimized. And that process of opening up early on in my relationship with him um, allowed my sense of suffering uh, to not be so strong and so pervasive in letting him go. And so that's how I interpret this word ekeru and uh, how to work with it. Now, there's some really interesting uh, technical, physiological things that go um, with the way that we experience um, sorrow and past uh, grief and sorrow and very quickly I'll just draw on her, her book because she talks about Im basically implicit and explicit memory implicit is the memory that's in recorded in and embedded in our memory and explicit is what we remember and so what she's describing is that 
um, early on when it, when there our memory bank, which is the hippocampus in our limbic brain, um, isn't fully formed, that we don't really record those memories very strongly. You know, they're not there in detail. But we our amygdala, which is our emotional uh, response center, can still register the emotion of it, not necessarily the details and the the, the visuals of it. And that's why it's hard to go back and remember very, very early memories because they weren't there wasn't anywhere for them to be recorded, but we still have a sense of emotional memory about it. Later on, what happens is when our when our hippocampus has developed, if we're under stress, there's two very interesting things that can happen. Two sets of hormones um, under stress can um, limit our ability to record memory. So those are uh, CRF and ACTH. I won't go through the long names, but they're but they're uh, hormones that uh, stress hormones. And um, depending on how intense the stress is, these hormones have found, been found to impede the hippocampal memory functions. That means that sometimes we block out the memory. We don't actually record the event in detail, but the amygdala may still register the emotional response. So. Um, the opposite can also happen. When adrenaline is released during a trauma or, or a uh, stress event, then it can, it can actually increase the hippocampal memory. And so we become very acutely uh, aware, and we have P PTSD-like symptoms, post-traumatic stress disorder, where the memory is so strong we can't escape it. We keep reliving the, the, the shock and the memory and the details of the event. The other thing about when... Um, memories aren't recorded during stress is that uh, those those, horm those other stress hormones <clears throat> that diminished our memory recording, they intensify the emotional memory. So we may have an emotional carryover of grief or fear or trauma without, you know, sort of having dissociated in a way from what happened. And that's partly maybe a protective measure that we, that we don't develop post-traumatic stress because we don't hold the memory in our in our system, it's a way of protecting the limbic system, uh, the limbic brain, protecting ourselves. Well, what does this all what does this all mean? It basically means that we, the way that I see it, is that um, we can work with the um, memory recall, and I do this in EMDR therapy, which is a post traumatic stress uh, therapy approach. That we can um, work with it when we're going through. Uh, grief and, and loss and we don't have to be afraid of the grief and the pain and the fact if we do use that Akeru approach of um, letting the pain pierce us open letting our heart open more that it can ease our suffering we can transform the the immobilizing sense of grief into um, a new um, instinct to bond and connect and this is what she touches on in the book in, in her stages of recovery um, one of the first stages in, in, in the withdrawal stage is to honor the fact that that bond is strong and that um, one of the things that we do when we're grieving is hang on to the grief because it's our last connection to the person or the or the situation or the you know the, the in my case the uh, the animal companion and so there's a natural instinctive pull there to cling to the to the grief and the and the shock and the trauma, because somehow it, it it's in an unconscious way um, we're keeping the connection alive. But of course, 
that situation, that person, that animal is gone. And so all we're doing is clinging to the sadness. And um, that can keep us stuck. And so, you know, grieving and, and opening up to the grief and letting it pass through allows uh, that natural urge and, and need to bond and attach, which is now not possible any longer in the same way with that situation or with that being to transform or for new bonds to emerge. And this is why, of course, you want to be around people you love and to um, uh, put yourself in a situation where eventually you can get out and socialize so that you can allow that need to bond that's so primal to um, to take new root. And, of course, what that also allows you to do is let go of hanging on to um, what's no longer there and trying to keep that alive. And you do get to keep the bond still. I mean, I will continue to, for forever to have an emotional connection to my dog and hopefully to just, as the trauma of how he passed uh, recedes, then the positive memories and the associations I have to having him in my life will be there forever. And I'll continue to um, connect with his spirit in that sense. Well, that's you know about as far as we can go really in the short time we have on this program, um, and there's you know there's a lot there to explore. And if any of you are going through or anticipating going through um, these kind of processes, or uh, even just in a general sense of how to approach mortality and the fear of of, our, of the fact that we won't live forever, or our family members, or the people that we love, or um, even our planet is experiencing. Um, uh, sickness, in a way, um, you know, there there is devastation and there is loss all around us, and so the lesson is to not um, close down, but to really connect and to allow that sorrow and that sense of loss and that fear of what the emotion means to us. I mean, there's a natural protection against that depth of of emotion, and it can feel like an internal sort of trauma in a way, and. Uh, you know, with the support of friends and loved ones and um, especially a contemplative practice of meditation, uh, you can bear witness to um, that grief and it'll allow you to turn it into positive action. And this is where you see people who have lost someone and then turn it into um, benevolent um, actions like starting of trusts, trusts or charities or advocacy organizations on behalf of someone who's died or um, do an art project or whatever. It's transformative. And there's a lesson there for all of us um, that life is a cycle, that it's a karmic cycle of life and, and death, and uh, that none of us is here forever in that sense, and that life is to be cherished uh, every single day. <clears throat> and um, once you are ha have consciously put your efforts to seeing your life as being something impermanent, then you don't have to be afraid of it anymore. And this is where, you know, the saying that people, most people are afraid of death. I don't think people are afraid of death because death is inevitable. I think most people are afraid of what it means to live. And uh, we can talk about that on another program. Meanwhile, um, anyone who's listening who has reached out and been there to support me in this very difficult time um, or who, whose thoughts and hearts may be going out knowing that now today um, thank you and I appreciate it and uh, my dog Max 
touched a lot of people and uh, I'm starting to see that now on, on uh, my personal page on Facebook and um, in my personal life um, he was a source of, of a lot of joy and uh, for a lot of people well that's it for today's show um, I hope this has been a benefit to you and uh, thank you for listening and thank you for giving me the opportunity to express my grief and my feelings and insights uh, as I go through this difficult time and um, love everyone around you today uh, two-legged or four-legged in your life uh, maybe a little bit stronger and a little more openly and appreciate the gift that we all have my name is Michael Gordon I've been your host this is the Mind Whisperer we'll see you next Tuesday we Tried to step out of the frame Time only knows When the healing comes again Were we suffering blows Was it necessary pain When you said love I thought forever When you said stay I thought together When you said baby I was your new lover Now there's no other I'm set free Am I set free? Love set you free But only if you see It's only love Just a mere Of all the ugliness we see